All right, what's up, guys? Um, it's uh, a departure, another departure from our regularly scheduled programming. Uh, another emergency episode about the attempted coup in Brazil, January eighth, twenty twenty three. I'm recording on the sixteenth, so it took me about a week to get a handle on this and to decide whether to do it. Uh, Tarek again has told me I should follow this pattern of uh, if you do a coup somewhere especially in Latin America, you get a podcast. Uh, so here we are. Brazil, there was uh, a, a pro-Bolsonaro uh, supporters claiming fraud with the help, Bolsonaro being the uh, president that lost the election, the, the right-wing president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, who ran Brazil during the COVID pandemic, who ran Brazil during the destruction of much of the Amazon, uh, the attempted coup, <laughs> the attempted various coup stunts in Venezuela before backing off of some of those uh, through Colombia. Jair Bolsonaro, so much to say about him, but he's gone now. Uh, and he he saluted the U.S. flag. He marched under the Israeli flag. So he's a real Brazilian patriot, right? He salutes the the U.S. flag, uh, but he he's in the U.S. where I guess he feels more comfortable than he'd better rather be in the U.S. Uh, than un, in Brazil under a Workers' Party administration, which again tells you how much of a nationalist and um, patriot uh, he must be. So his supporters claimed that the Lula's Lula's victory the former president before uh, Bolsonaro was uh, Luis Ignacio de la Silva, uh, otherwise known as Lula, and a labor leader from way back during the dictatorship, ran a whole bunch of times for president with no success, and then uh, in the early 2000s became the president and became part of this big Latin American a wave of governments in the early 2000s that were left-wing trying to do social democratic policy and link Latin American countries a little bit, establish a little bit of independence from the U.S. And he stepped down. He, he had a, another president from the Workers' Party, Dilma Rousseff, take the helm. And they made a whole bunch of mistakes, both Lula and Dilma, which I'll get into and Dilma eventually was overthrown, actually, from within her own government as well as uh, outside through a whole fairly intricate and, and convoluted set of accusations of corruption by a judiciary that was itself corrupt. Again, lots of details about that that I won't get into today. What happened on January 8th, 2023, the supporters of, the, of this Bolsonaro... They stormed the Congress, the Supreme Court, the presidential palace. Nobody was home. The government hadn't uh, started or had just started a week before, but nobody was there. Uh, so it was a lot. You know, people made comparisons to the January 6th uh, storming of the Capitol in the U.S. I honestly don't know much about that. I didn't look into it. I can't comment on it. Obviously, the entire media universe was totally saturated with January 6th coverage and takes on it. And I didn't think I had 
that much to add. I try to avoid, as you can probably tell if you're a listener of this show, commenting on things that are completely saturated with commentary from every angle, uh, especially as I don't have any special knowledge of of U.S. politics compared to people compared to the m- hundreds of thousands or millions of people that follow every little detail of every little thing that goes on in the U.S. That's not what you come here for, I'm sure. And that's not what I do. But that said, the Brazilian uh, storming of essentially empty buildings uh, has some parallels to that, I, I gather, and including uh, the aesthetic. There was apparently a guy who dressed like the Braveheart guy from the January 6th. And there were a lot of common icons. Of course, Bolsonaro uh, flies the US flag before the Brazilian one. So it makes sense that they would pattern their insurrection, their farcical insurrection on the farcical insurrection in the US. Bolsonaro himself, actually from Florida, where he left, where lots of these kinds of people go uh, after their run in office, uh, condemned the coup actually uh, after it failed. Maybe uh, maybe he wouldn't have condemned it if it had succeeded, but he did condemn it after it failed. And ar- arguably he's in the U.S. because he doesn't want to get prosecuted by the government for his own uh, government's corruption, of which I'm sure... I will. I would leave. I guess researchers and investigators in Brazil to uncover that if that's what they're going to do. Now, what happened since? Okay, we we know a little bit about how this came about. We know that the the Braz, the the mayor of Brasilia, some of the um, some of the administrators in the capital were possibly implicated in opening the doors, throwing them wide open, local police. There were there were people in the security forces, obviously, that made this attempted coup easier. And that's always the case, right? You can't actually do a coup with no participation from the military and from the police forces. So uh, now after a coup attempt, the government invariably will try to find those people that participated and fire them, prosecute them legally for not doing their jobs or for treason. And that seems to be happening. So you, uh, everybody listening to this, I'm sure knows who Glenn Greenwald is. You know, he's a civil libertarian lawyer, uh, well-known blogger and, and person who broke stories, participated in this, Uh, Intercept, the website called The Intercept. And then he left because he thought it was too... He had some political and uh, editorial disagreements with The Intercept. But Greenwald uh, has... He lives in Brazil and he his partner is involved in Brazilian politics. He is uh, obviously does a lot in Brazilian politics. And he... uh, is a kind of a go-to person for Brazilian politics for this reason, for, for Americans anyway. And he's been very concerned about the civil liberties of the people who tried to overthrow the government just now. So a lot of, um, you'll see on his Twitter that he's condemning authoritarianism and, and the, the 
the kind of crackdown on Bolsonaro supporters that's happening now. Condemning, I think, I think you can always condemn repression after a coup attempt. Uh, obviously, I, I remember the when there was a coup attempt in Turkey and the government which survived Erdogan's government proceeded to purge not just the military, but also the academy and every layer of government of thousands of people. And that was, that was really bad. And, and there was a lot of suffering and, and Erdogan is certainly not a, a government that uh, with the anti-empire project is, is sympathetic to uh, on the, but it is it is like the sun coming up in the morning after a coup. The government, if the government survives, they are going to punish uh, the people they think are perpetrators, and they're going to try to harden themselves against future coup attempts, which is uh, what we see Lula doing. And Lula, in particular, Lula's government, remember, was overthrown. Not L- Lula was put in jail. Uh, Lula's successor, Dilma Rousseff, was. Uh, prosecuted for corruption and overthrown in a kind of a legal lawfare. They call it kind of lawfare coup. So the fact that Lula now doesn't seem to have a sense of humor about an attempt to overthrow his government is, it just makes sense. It's, it's just understanding how the world works. It's not, um, you know, I, Glenn can condemn it, but, there's no there's no government in history that isn't going to behave uh, this way. You can say maybe it's excessive. I don't know. Um, if you do see uh, Greenwald and people like that condemning um, authoritarianism, I just simply take that to as a sign that Lula is doing things to prevent future coup attempts uh, on his government. Um this is, of course, not going to endear Lula to the United States, but arguably it's the United States that's been overthrowing, that overthrew his government in the first place and is overthrowing him now or trying to overthrow him now. So if you see Lula being called authoritarian, uh, that's probably a- another way of saying, a kind of condemnatory way of saying that he's doing things to prevent future coups. Now, maybe that's bad. Uh, maybe you want that government to be overthrown. Maybe you are probably not if you're a listener of this show, but if you are, then obviously you're going to not like seeing this kind of repression. On the other hand, if you are, if you're one of the Brazilians that was tired of Bolsonaro, if you're one of the Brazilians that was hoping that this government of Lula would come in and do some of the things that they said they were going to do, like, improve education, employment, (laughs) the economy, the environment, uh, indigenous rights, or any of the other things that they said, then you also want this government to survive and not be overthrown, which means some of these, some of these people who are trying to overthrow it would probably have to be removed from their positions at the very least in the senior military hierarchy. Anyway, Let's look at some other angles, because I do think it's important to remember what Lula was and was not. 
uh, Lula and his party, the Workers' Party, they did kind of allow themselves to be overthrown in a coup back in 2016. And they were overthrown. And Lula was put in jail to prevent him from running. Had he run uh, in the following election, he would have won. Uh, Everybody mostly agrees that that would have been the case. It's impossible to prove a counterfactual, but he was put in jail, politically persecuted, put in jail to prevent him from running. And they, but they did a lot of bad things in power. They passed a neoliberal reform package. They uh, let right-wingers into their administration. They uh, went along. The worst thing they did, in my opinion, and I've said this before on this show, the worst thing they did was going along with and running the post-coup occupation of Haiti, the democratically elected government of Haiti uh, under Jean-Bertrand Aristide, who has some arguable similarities to uh, Mr. Lula, in fact, Mr. De Silva. Uh, Aristide was overthrown in 2004 by the U.S., Canada, and France, and it was occupied directly by the U.S. between the years of 2004 and 2006, and then it was handed over as a kind of U.N., occupation run principally by Brazil, commanded by a Brazilian military commander, two two successive military commanders, generals in the Brazilian military, one of whom ended up uh, committing suicide by shooting himself in the chest on a balcony, which is a pretty strange way to commit suicide. Uh, But other military officers who ran the Haiti occupation, who said that they were practicing their violent raids in the poor neighborhoods of Haiti. And they were viewed that as kind of practice for coming back and doing the same kinds of things in Brazil. So a really horrific uh, thing to do, a really horrific thing with severe consequences for Brazilian politics, as well as the uh, much worse consequences for Haiti, thousands of people killed, and a complete purge of the Aristide people from the government, a complete halt to all of the progress, social and economic progress that Aristide's government was making. And yeah, I will defend that record. I have defended it in a book that I've published called Haiti's New Dictatorship. So Brazil was a party to that, and Lula was a party to that, and Lula's Workers' Party was a party to that. And Brazil's military was a party to all of that, and it compromised them in so many ways. And they did it arguably for a seat at the Security Council, which obviously Brazil was never going to get a permanent seat at the Security Council. This was just for one of the rotating seats. I don't even remember if they got it, but I know that it wasn't worth it. These officers that went to Haiti apparently were very strong Bolsonaro supporters. They came back and hated Lula. They probably hated Lula when they went. So it's another proof to me that you can't really conciliate these kinds of people. You can't give them what they want. You can't survive by giving them what they want. Uh, They they don't take, as uh, I think Joe Emmersberger and lots of other people have said, they don't take yes for an answer. So if they want to overthrow you, giving them the occupation of Haiti or giving them a neoliberal reform package where you cut subsidies to poor people's programs and education and healthcare, all of which uh, the government did, the Lula government did to try to placate the right. 
all that did was uh, get rid of some of their credibility, uh, alienate them from their allies, and and further embolden their enemies. So if they did all this, the question is, do they deserve to be even called a left-wing government? And uh, I, we, I have to say, yes, I still think they do. It's not, it's not, um, we have to take the bad, we have to see the bad and we have to see the good. Lula did pass some good anti-poverty programs, including uh, the famous Zero Hunger uh, Lula's government was better on all these metrics, including corruption for that matter, but education, healthcare, environmental protection, reducing police violence. So was it the strongest revolutionary government? No. Was it very conciliatory? Yes. Uh, was there some horrific, including moral compromises made? Absolutely. Uh, but they did these things domestically. They also, Lula also is a negotiator on the international stage. Um, this whole BRICS, you know, Bri Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, the, the idea of an alternative block of big, um, potentially powerful countries. Uh, when, when Lula was overthrown, the, that took the B out of BRICS. When Modi came into uh, power in India in 2014, that took the I out of BRICS. So it was it's kind of come down to RC. South Africa was never really a big consideration in BRICS. Maybe it will be one day. But um, I think China is working on a lot of angles in, in um, Africa and not just South Africa, which has all kinds of unique problems as well uh one day i'll i'll get a comrade from south africa on the show i hope to talk about that so what else can we say by way of conclusion uh given lula's conciliatory nature i was actually surprised to see these purges happening uh, uh that that he's actually does seem to be punishing the people behind the coup and getting rid of security that were behaving with treasonous uh, intent uh, but like I said, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised because it's a rare government that has a sense of humor about being overthrown. Um, there's another article that I read by Pepe Escobar. I read him all the time about Central Asia, China, Russia. He writes about the Ukraine where he's one of those people that got kicked out of uh, Twitter. He's not what I would call uh, a a left winger exactly you'll hear him condemn like woke politics and and there's a lot of um kind of code words for to to signal in his work i i see some signaling that he doesn't want to be associated with the left per se um i really like his work i really like um a lot of what he does and and i follow it i i never miss it but i i don't i don't know i don't know maybe that's unfair but i don't think uh, he would consider himself to be like uh, a, a party left winger. Certainly he's a very independent um, minded person. And I don't think he identifies with all of the things you would, you would, um, you would identify as a left winger. But anyway, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to comment on um, Pepe. Like I, I, you know, I'd love to, talk to Pepe Escobar on the show or, or in any other context. And he does go on left-wing shows like Danny Haifong's or, um, 
Ben Norton's, uh, you know, Max and Aaron, he, he's, he, he definitely isn't anti, uh, any of that, but I wanted to, uh, he, he talked about the, um, attempted coup on January 8th as a attempted Maidan uprising. So he compares it to the over the uh, overthrow of, uh, of the Ukrainian, the pro-Russia Ukraine, Ukrainian government in 2014 that set the stage for the current war in Ukraine. And he says, uh, the failed coup in Brazil is just the latest CIA stunt, just as the country is forging stronger ties with the East. So Lula, I mean, uh, Pepe's analysis is that this has everything to do with uh, Lula's promised foreign policy uh, multipolarity, bricks. This is this is really uh, Pepe's beat. He talks all about Eurasian integration, the the way that the U.S. is being slowly edged out of all of these multilateral and multipolar initiatives. Um, Pepe says Lula at the helm in Brazil in what is now his third non-successive presidential term will offer a tremendous boost to BRICS. BRICS Plus in the 2000s, side by side with uh, Russian President Putin and former Chinese President Hu Jintao, Lula was a key conceptualizer of a deeper role for BRICS, including trade in their own currencies. So the key, and then of course, the key regional actor he identifies in Latin America in the Western Hemisphere is Brazil. So this is why he argues uh, the U.S. has to get rid of Lula or, or really badly wants to get rid of Lula. Um, <laughs> so the, the Pepe is really worried uh, because he says Lula's cabinet is a mess with ministers constantly clashing and some members supporting Bolsonaro even a few months ago. Lula calls it a national unity government, but it is more like a tawdry patchwork job. And Pepe knows, I've, I've seen Pepe talk about why Lula uh, is in this position. We, I've talked about it on my show with Deanna Aguiar, uh, that this is the only way to get anything done in Brazil. So he's had to take these conciliatory um, moves. But, um, but he, he, so he ends on a kind of an ambivalent note. Um, I think that he's he's more pessimistic about Lula's being able to strengthen uh, his own position. He says the same old CIA playbook remains at work. It boggles the mind how easy it is to subvert Brazil, one of the natural leaders of the global South. Uh, as much as the self-aggrandizing faction of the Brazilian military may believe they control the nation, if Lula's significant masses hit the streets in full force, against the 8th January farce, which is what seems to be happening, by the way, the army's impotence will be graphically imprinted. And since this is a CIA operation, the handlers will order their tropical military vassals to behave like ostriches. Uh, the future, unfortunately, is ominous. The U.S. establishment will not allow Brazil, the BRICS economy with the best potential after China, to be back in business with full force and in sync with the Russia-China strategic partnership. While we'll see... We'll just have to see how that goes. Um, I'm, I'm not, I, I was uh, definitely as pessimistic as Pepe, but I also didn't really think that uh, Lula would get this far. So I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised uh, all the time uh, with geo, 
in with some of these geopolitical events. So what, how do, where do you go to follow this more? So I, I said, um, background, I've done two interviews with a really brilliant uh, professor in Brazil, Diana Aguiar, D-I-A-N-A, A-G-U-I-A-R. Uh, look her up with my name. Uh, I did one on the brief a couple years ago and one more recently on the NTM Pyre Project. There's also the documentary that we mentioned in those interviews. It's on Netflix called The Edge of Democracy. Uh, highly recommended for how the Lula's government got overthrown last time. And I think they were paying attention and don't want to do it again. Coo me once, shame on you. Coo me twice, shame on me, right? Um, also, current events, if you can follow Portuguese or get into your clicking your Google Translate button and Jones, uh, it's Jones Manuel, jo Jones, J-O-N-E-S, Manuel, M-A-N-O-E-L. Uh, he writes for um, Tricontinental sometimes in English too, uh, but you'll find him in, he's he's Brazilian, I gather, and writes has been writing a lot in Portuguese. So you can see him on Twitter and uh, YouTube in Portuguese. You could probably get there with with subtitles and 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 direct trans and uh, google translate and stuff like that and then most recommended i'd say for this moment is brian meyer brian and then m-i-e-r uh, and brazil wire uh, brazil wire is the outlet it's in english and they uh, have really good stuff and they're covering this uh, really uh, you know deeply um, they're big supporters of lula uh maybe even more so than me, <laughs> I would say. Uh, but they they will cover it from a from a very sympathetic Tulula kind of perspective. That is it for now. Uh, we will be back to scheduled non-emergency programming uh, from here on in. <laughs>